0: Hello there, my name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Tony Kirridge, owner of Tony's Tackle at Eastbourne who I'm linking up with here at the shop, has been involved in a lot of furs over the years right across the entire angling scene. Sometimes it's been following trends, on other occasions setting them. So a long and very interesting career as an angler and as a tackle dealer both of which can tell us much about the changes that have shaped angling over the years. Now last time I saw you we were both propping up a bar on Mauritius waiting for Cyclone Bella to start ripping the place to pieces hoping that things might settle out quickly enough to grab a few days on the marlin before boarding the plane for home.
1: Yeah I think it was 1991 but anyway I was quite young then. I didn't get a marlin I was quite upset because some people did but it was quite tough but I had a 98 pound Selfish, which is really nice, and they put it up on the board out there because it's quite a big for a selfish, that is, you know. And I ended up second to last day before the storm, I did get a mile in 157 pounds, but I was struggling. I thought, Oh, I'm the only one who's not going to get one here, you know. But I caught that on Challenger 3, I recollect. Uh, he's a good skipper, the kiddie, the selfish, and it was a good fish, you know what I mean. The main thing was what I remember of it, Phil, is um, I was on the back of the boat and it was dead steel and boiling hot and he put live baits out, two bonitos. And this selfish hit this live bait and I'll tell you what, if you'd have had a camera and got what I see, you'd have been a millionaire because this fish came out of the water straight out, upwards, vertical. And it was like a picture. You know, it was no less than fifteen yards away. The sea was like a sheet of glass and this thing was like a picture in front of you. If you could have took a photograph of that when it came come out of the water, you'd just made a fortune, but people have painted them like it quite often, you know. And it was something else that was, you know, and it was a good trip. It was with Graham, if I reckon, with Norman Message coming me, and it was good, we had a real good time, you know. Apart from the uh, cyclone, which uh, everyone had to be a bit careful, didn't they? But If I remember, it flattened the island, Rodriguez, but they reckon it was coming towards us pretty seriously, but we got the outskirts of it, but it was still
0: bad. Right, with so much here to potentially talk about, it might make sense to split the interview into two parts. The tackle side of things, and later, the practical fishing. Let's start with the tackle trade side and see what that can tell us about angling trends over the past 40 years. Back in the days before internet selling, you took out pioneering multi-page advertising spreads in magazines like Sea Angler, offering discounted mail order fishing tackle to the masses.
1: At first we were pioneers of tackle that was exclusive to people, we earned good money and we made products ourselves that people bought like rig wallets, we, we done them for other shops, we were pioneers of a lot of things, you know, um, the real conversions we used to do them all. Years ago they all had level wines and we pioneered a lot of the bars to take out the level wine to make sure it was all, you know, you could turn it into a CT version and we used to sell hundreds of these conversions and we knew enough made our own price so we made lots of money and everything was going along lovely and then Dave Docker had come along and he kind of copied us and uh, he done very well out of it and then in the end, um, I mean we was taking £5,000 a month adverts, you know it was incredible we was having four or five page adverts in Sea Angler but it was just all getting a bit too tough and uh, we weren't making quite so much profit so we were still doing okay and then we decided to branch into the carp side because we was doing really well and I think that was one of my mistakes. I mean, unfortunately, it enhanced the turnover. I mean, we, we ended up with turnover over 1.3 million. And if you see the size of my shop, it's amazing, really. I mean, there was lorries coming here all day long, picking up stuff and just delivering every day. And we'd done brilliant. But unfortunately, what it was, I was the angler's friend not making enough money. And then, uh, of course, a few years later, along come the internet and totally messed us up because we was then just buying money, really. It was working shows, we were just turnover, turnover, which is for vanity, as you know, and uh, profit sanity, as you know, and I've realised that now. But at the time, we were just trying to keep everything going, you know, and we did marvellous. But unfortunately, with the recession, the banks got a bit harsh, everything tied up. And then, of course, I started getting into trouble. And uh, because I wasn't limited, you see, so we had this turnover of 1.2 million plus, But it was all about um, cash flow and then because I wasn't limited, we couldn't get out of it, really. And basically I'm sitting target waiting to go bankrupt, you know, and I kept trying to pay people. I got court letters, all kinds of problems, and I was trying to pay people and people, you know, like people are evil once you're down, they put you down, don't they? And uh, I just kept going and going and I thought, well, four years ago, I think it was, I thought, I've had it now, I just can't go on any longer, you know and they had a plan where they'd take my house which is worth over 500000 and I thought well, shall I or not and I thought no I'm not gonna, I'm gonna keep going because I owed about a quarter of a million pound and I paid it all back and uh, I think it got down to the last few things I think one of the last things was nothing to do with fishing It was a burger alarm and the burger alarm bill was £300 which turned into something like £1,700 and they said they were gonna come down and take everything out of my shop the next day and all this and uh, it's just getting really bad and I remember I was over the angling club at Eastbourne and uh, I was on this uh they do a thing called open the box and I, I never really went in it and I put two quid on it anyway I, I opened this key at the box and cut a long story short I won three thousand eight hundred pounds anyway all the guys up there they didn't know a lot about it and they were like oh I expect you're gonna buy your wife a new car and all this and all that and do you know what that three and a half grand it shows you how sometimes better be lucky than rich that three and a half grand just was enough to pay off all the little bills i had left and start again and now i've spent four years and i'm almost like pay as you go now like a telephone and my shop's full of gear i must have eighty thousand pounds worth of stuff in here now it's all paid for i don't owe anyone any money and it's like a fresh start so i'm so glad that i survived really but i'll tell you what, it, it was the internet that would done me in because everyone was just quoting internet prices to me and all they wanted to do was kind of just hit me with internet prices or match me with Jerry's or match me with Eels and I basically just had to do it either wrap it up and sell it or not but I blame some of the companies Phil people like Daiwa they don't really care that you get these reels called basiers and I I remember I was wrapping up three basiers for carp fishing I had to match a price of about at the time I think it was something like 900 pound and basically i'd wrap these reels up close my eyes and think oh it's 900 pound in the in the till and i was making about 12 quid and it was like what do i do do i just turn this money away or take it and they made the market like that really because you know nowadays i deal with companies that i buy something and i sell it at the right price if i don't i don't buy it but in the old days Daiwa and not just Daiwa Shimano as well everyone got in such a price world because what they were doing was underhanded deals to some people around the corner, not telling you, and you think, how can they do that? And they go, oh, I don't know, they can't. But of course they were. <laughs> so that's business, I suppose. But unfortunately, that was happening. I mean, all of course, I got a good few deals on the way, but I think sometimes you get into a state where you buy so much gear, if you can't move it fast enough, you're not making the profit, so you may as well have bought one of them, you and me. And I've learned that over the years, and now I, if someone goes too. Shire me on the price. I will turn around and say no. And it's took me a long time to do that, but I realise now that if I don't, I'm not going to be here, you know. So, But it was quite good. The, the climbing back was good. Graham Pullen helped me. He don't realise how much he helped me really. I was talking to him the other week, and he just came down and said, oh, I'll do a video for you like he always done. And uh, he'd done these couple of videos, one on the Eastbourne Pier, and uh, he done another one for me on long casting and another one on beach fishing tips and they're phenomenal I mean I get people I used to spend £5,000 a month advertising to get people to come here and they come from miles you know and now people are drifting in again and they're going I've seen you on the DVD I've I've been watching it. it's really good I think I've sort of slowly got a new life of it starting to happen again obviously not on the scale of what was happening with the mags because obviously I was massive you know what I mean but I feel stick. I think as well I've got a bit of stick from people i still kept my name I didn't go bankrupt as some people reported, which was really bad, and I kept myself going. And now I I kind of I'm semi-retired now, I love it. I come in here, do a few deals, have a week off if I want, and everything's not too severe.
0: Like the tackle trade, angling generally has also seen its ups and downs, reflecting changes in such variables as disposable incomes, fish stocks and interest levels. Sticking with the sea angling side of things for the moment declining fish stocks, the failure to bring in new blood and a growing acceptance of smaller sizes and species which anglers were previously not interested in have to be immediate causes for concern. Presumably, tackle sales will also reflect these changes. So from a tackle dealing perspective, how has sea angling changed over your time in the business?
1: One of the big things, I suppose, was uptiding. John Raw, I think, back in the 60s or 70s, I think, he came up with uptiding and uh, i used to know John and massive thing up tidying, you know, I mean you, the amount of fish you catch more than, than fishing out of the back of a boat. What I've noticed, the biggest thing around here, is that if I get a Pen 330 GTI or let's just say a Pen four zero reel Senator or something, which was a popular reel on it years ago, I can't begin to sell it, I've got no chance. Everybody now because they use braid and they use lighter line, one of the biggest reels used in the boat is that just, just slightly bigger than a 7000 size, no one needs to buy massive great big rods anymore. I mean they've got their place for congering and a big reel, of course the TLD25, but people don't want them anymore, they want a small reel they put something like 30 pound braid on it because we get a lot of tide out of these pools, and quite often you have to use 2 pound of lead and instead of using 2 pound of lead you can use three quarters of a pound, half a pound, quite comfortably, see your bites better. Generally catch more fish because you can feel the bottom if you're drifting. It's just a revelation, braid really, I think it's one of the greatest things ever, especially for competition fishing in a boat. I mean, when you're fishing for bigger fish, I I think nylon's better because you've got a bit of stretch, you know. And if I was going Congrid, I'd probably use nylon. But when you fish with this braid, general fishing, you can feel the rocks, you can feel the bottom, you can feel everything, and you see your bites, and you know that if a couple of small fish are on there, they're on there. We can fish out of here with the big tides out of Eastbourne, and you might have a couple of dogfish on there, and you wouldn't even know they're on there, because it's ripping so hard the tide, you have one little bite, you might think i well, have I got it or not, you leave it down there 10 minutes, you reel up, and you've got two dogfish, and you think how long they've been on there, you know, whereas with a braid you know instantly whether you've got something on, and just can deal with everything better, you know, and I think braid's the biggest revelation in beach fishing and boat fishing. I mean, they use 10 pound braid on the beach, on the fixed balls now, and I mean, 10 pound braid, it's incredible, and it's like three pound line.
0: What about individual companies that have stood out above the rest as trendsetters?
1: What, like Breakaway and stuff like that? Very much so. I think the best thing ever made, ever, is an impact lead. They're just marvelous, you know, they're the biggest revelation in angling. You've got an impact lead, which you can clip everything down, and even if you're not any good at casting, it'll always come off and you can basically get a guy who can only cast 30 yards or 40 yards even and he'll get 50 because he'll have it all clipped down it just stops all that wind resistance and they're probably the best thing ever invented. The other thing that's massive is snood lamps. and everyone uses amnesia now and it's a commonplace thing. Well, I think my friend Geoff Gowdy up in Norfolk invented amnesia him and Tony Gittings and they came down to me fishing a big comp and they showed it to me and said don't tell anyone and to me. <laughs> so slowly I started getting in the shop and selling it and I think I was one of the first shops to sell it competitively and I used to sell boxes and boxes of it but now it's just an everyday thing. You walk in a shop and they sell amnesia on the wall alongside the grease weasel and it's there. grease weasel shop leader goes with the amnesia It's in every shop you go in. And amnesia is just so nice to use because it's totally memory free, you know. So you get a decent fish, you can just run your hands on it, straighten it out and get another one. But same with like, I mean, the next revelation really is fluorocarbon. But I've got to be honest with you, fluorocarbon is a very grey area. It's fantastic. Certain conditions, as you know. Other conditions, it's not. But generally, fluorocarbon is perhaps more advanced than amnesia. And it can be absolutely brilliant for bass fishing and stuff like that. So it moves on, but how far can it go? You know, you used to use red gills on boat fishing and everything. Well, you never use a red gill now, it's all sidewinders, which you're obviously familiar with, and they're the business, you know what I mean? You just put a sidewinder on, small one or medium one. The only thing I found with the sidewinders is there's a lot of different ones. You've got the quality ones from the Sidewinder itself, David Kiddy. Uh, you've got a lot of cheap ones out there you can buy at two ninety nine, and people think well i them 2 pounds but believe me Phil they fall apart and I've just done my own sidewinders, Sea Match ones because I own the company Sea Match, I've owned it for 30 years and the first thing I made sure is they came through, I have got the quality right they're the same quality as the real sidewinders and he used them on a boat out here deep blue quite often and they all told me they've been using them regularly off me and they all said they're one of the best ones they they catch a lot of these cod, they don't split, they don't fall apart. People are realising now not to walk in and just buy a sidewinder off the wall at 2 They're thinking, hang on a minute, let's have a look at the quality of these. And They're either buying the real sidewinders or something like my C-Match ones. And it's very hard to explain that because the average guy walks through the shop, he'll always pick the 299 ones up, but the mine about £6. But what I've done, I've put them together now and I, before he takes them I tell him, and every time you, you'll see boats, we will go for the better ones you know another thing's a big difference between feathers hawkeyes, tinsels, feathers are a bit of a thing of the past isn't they no one really realized but they've drifted away haven't they and you've now got sort of like hawkeyes silver shrimps sabiki lures everything's more advanced now than it used to be isn't it
0: but it needs to be to make up for the fact that we're looking at fewer fish these days
1: fewer fish i think you've got to be more cleverer and more advanced to get them and if you don't move with the times you won't catch fish simple as that but it, it has seen a big change I mean I've been I've been at the shop 40 years this year I think I have been 74 and uh, nearly 50 years fishing since I was 12 and oh, I used to go down the beach here and unfortunately I was too young what my brother-in-law caught massive cod on the beach Norman massive I couldn't cast I was sort of 10 11 years old you didn't have to cast miles but you had to cast far enough, if you know what I mean. And, of course, I was a kid and couldn't get out there, so basically he caught his massive cod down there. When I had one this year, 15 pounds, 14 pounds, 14 ounce on the beach, and that's the best one I've had for years, and yet no one was catching them every night when I was a kid, and I was horrified how big they were, you know, and he got up to 25 pounds, and no one took any notice, but you're talking about, what, nearly 50
0: years ago now? It's a long time, isn't it? Is tackle development driven by changing circumstances such as fewer fish and anglers wanting to get more out of individual fish in terms of encouraging companies to come up with new ideas and create new trends or is it the other way around with manufacturers and retail outlets like yourself providing anglers with what they feel they either want or need?
1: I definitely think we follow America with everything we do and you see shops now and they're full of lures and I'm not saying it don't work because it does work but they've literally drummed it into England, the Americans, lure fishing, lure fishing. There's more lure fishing done than anything now. Of course you are gonna catch fish if everyone's doing it, but it just makes you wonder, doesn't it, how things get into trends. They they start pushing all these lures for parlours and everything, and I've used them, they're marvellous. You know, I go abroad in Gambia, they're marvellous, but it's a little bit more intricate here, and I don't think it's quite as easy as everyone makes out, you know, and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, you wanna get a load of lures and do this, Oh, I sell blokes spinning rods and lure rods and how are you getting on it? What have you had? Oh I had a bass last month and you're like yeah okay so if I'd have spent two months up the rocks there I'd have had about 14 bass. So it's great fishing don't get me wrong I'm not knocking it but I think sometimes you get into these trends that people make up and you tend to follow the trend and it ain't always the
0: way to go. Taking that one stage further what do you make of this LRF with tiny lures for many species in harbours and around rocks? What's that all about?
1: That's what I was saying, you know, I think it's very good, don't get me wrong, and, and very enjoyable, but I, I don't know that everyone gets as big a results as they make out, but then again, certain areas they do, don't they? Lure fishing ain't in all over the country, it's certain places, probably brilliant down in Devon, down that area and around sort of Wales and all that, but Eastbourne's it's not fantastic, you know, I'm not saying you don't catch them, but there's more fish caught around this area probably conventionally on Peeler Crab and Lug and whatever. But it's, it's a lovely thing because some blokes get right into it, they spend a lot of money, they buy lovely spinning rods, 200 quid a rod some of them, and all the gear to go with them, and that's what they want to do, so it's everyone's choice really, isn't it? The yeah, Eastbourne piers on fire, so... They've sent about 30 fire engines down. I think it's all on Sky Sports News and BBC News and everything. But uh, that's not good really.
0: Sounds like another Victorian pier about to be lost to Angloon, which is sad. Right, I've started hearing a lot in recent times about Italian rods. You yourself mentioned the 15 foot beach casters are now producing and recently Scottish boat international Steve Souter was singing the praises of similar sized telescopic rods as a must for certain aspects of offshore matchwork. What is it then about Italian tackle design? What's happened to the British innovators such as Ziplex, Conoflex and the like?
1: I don't know if anyone wants to have a look but if you look on YouTube to Grimes' latest video with me on the Smooth ends, I'm featuring the Zero uh, seven, which is the latest rod admittedly it's 450 pounds to buy but it is a piece of kit I've been here 40 years right and I've never picked a beach rod up like it it's almost like a feeder rod for fresh water the tip is about half a mil and it's just ridiculous you pick it up it weighs nothing it's 15 foot long and of course it's a pleasure to use you know not I, when I first caught sight of one I thought I can't believe this rod it I've fished with some rods in my life, but I've never seen anything like it. The only thing it lacks, I was talking to Francesco Carenti, he's their new marketing manager in Colmic in Italy. I was talking to him this morning. And when you reel in, the tip is so fine, you tend to think it's going to break. It doesn't. So I said to him, you know, why can't you put a stiffer tip in it for Dungeness? Because that's the only thing I can fault on it. It's a marvellous rod. And let's be honest, it's made for the Mediterranean. But it's become big over in England everyone's buying them and what you'll find is guys that can't cast very well they're picking up one of these Colmic, well any of these Colmic rods light 15-footers they're putting a fixed ball on their surf blaster or something like that 10 pound braid 10 pound fire line and they use tapered leaders and they just well you just hit it and you think I mean the first time I cast one I said to my mate you should have a go I said, "Oh, I'm really sorry. I've cracked it off. I feel awful." He said, "What?" I said, "It's gone, isn't it?" And I looked down at the reel, Phil, and it's going ch ch ch, ch- and it's still going. It, you know, it's just at the ground. And I thought I'd cracked it off and it had gone. And he said, "No, look, it's still going. It's just flicking off there, you know, little bits, as it's just hit the water." And I was just shocked, you know. It's so easy to cast. Obviously, the big boys who use the big ziplexes and that, they've slightly got the edge. I've got two rods, I've got one for pendulum and one for normal fishing my lighter fishing, the coal meat but there's not much in it and it's becoming that guys, when we fish a match now with 50 anglers in them before it was out of the 50 without being rude or nasty, detrimental to anyone there was probably about 25 who were going to win it, you with me? and you thought well one of them 25 is going to win, well now when you get 50 anglers in a match any one of them 50 can win it because they've all got Long rods, they've all got light-lined, fixed balls, and they find it easy to cast, and you do it with a big pendulum cast. You look round, they just pop it overhead, and they're about seven yards behind you. So it's a big leveller, you know? <laughs> I've got guys of 70 who've given up fishing, match fishing, and now they've come back and they've started again, because it's so easy. You know, we did a tuition a couple of months ago, and we showed people how to cast them. And some of these guys who bought my feet are 70 years old, going, I give it to them first time, there's a rod, there's a real, way you go and they just cast so far they've gone I want one you know they bought it and it's just amazing so sometimes you can pay £300 for a ziplex you can't bend it you think you've got a good rod but you haven't really because you can't use it I've always said this when I used to do talks with that Colmic rod you'll get it you'll bend it and you'll use it and you'll get every bit out of it it's almost like a giant catapult so that that's the big difference with the ziplexes they're very tippy and you've got to wind them up and unless you're pretty good you sometimes pay a lot of money for what I used to say about 18 inches of fishing rod when I used to do a talk I used to start off and the first thing I'd say is look will you pay me for this bit of this rod will you give me 250 quid for this little bit on the end here and they go no I said well that's probably I don't want to upset you here but probably what most of you lot are bending and you're paying 250 quid for 18 inches of rod and you wouldn't do it and they said no I said well if you get a rod that's more progressive all the rods I've designed for Shimano and Daiwa and Graze I've I've designed for Penn and all of them I've always made sure they're they're cast easily and if you talk to anyone about the few of the rods I've designed the Penn Viper, the BTB Daiwa they're all very forgiving and guys have picked them up, cast miles and all still now they say I've got one of your BTB Daiwa's they're fantastic, because they can use it that's the big difference and uh, Ziplex I don't. I talked to Terry and he's not going to tell you this but I'm not quite sure where they could make a rod as finesse as this you know to be honest with you because they are pretty special I'm not challenging him to do one I think he's kept out of it his conventional rods are marvellous his M4s and everything they're brilliant so I still think there's a room in it for you know you've got the normal rod the conventional what I call it and then you've got the light the 15 footer which is the light three piece which I think It's good until you come up to a lot of weed and dungeness and things like that. So I think you've got to have one of each is the answer. Instead of all this going one way or the other, if you can master it that you've got one rod of each type then when the going gets tough and you get the weed and everything you can just throw the fixed ball one away and you can just chuck your multiplier out with the um, normal gear with the conventional rod which has got a lot more power you know. Back in late
0: 1999 I was asked by one of the magazines to nominate what I saw as the biggest single contribution to sea angling during the 20th century. An easy question for me to answer, a no-brainer in fact. Without hesitation I nominated Uptide Fishing. Not only did it produce more fish in difficult shallow water situations, it also forced anglers to scale down and enjoy the fishing more, on top of which it spawned a whole new era in rod design and manufacturing, with every company worth its salt getting in on the act. So let me now put the same question to you, but let's split the answer across boat and shore. What do you think has made the biggest contribution to both boat and shore fishing throughout your time in the trade? Unfortunately I've already
1: said it, but I think it's the impact lead. Before that you had the impact shield. It's just a thing of clipping down, it was in the way, but the impact leads are just marvellous because it just clips on the lead. It enables you to cast further it's just phenomenal and and maybe the only other thing I think is marvellous and not everyone knows about this but most people do now when I was oh, 20 years ago I made rig wallets for companies and we used to put their name and their shop on them Hastings Centre, Maidstone Centre. we used to make hundreds of rig wallets and you know how popular rig wallets were well now it's all winders and the guys all use winders now from Tronics. you wind all your rigs on there they're perfect you've got a little winder box which costs you about 11 quid and that's got to be the most innovative thing made because when you put them in there, you label them all up for your match angler with what they are. So you quickly pick out which rig you want. Everything's sort of at your fingertips. It's really good. And I just think they're marvellous, the winders. I mean, we just don't stop selling them. I think if I'd have had C Match going, that was the kind of thing I would have developed by now, you know? We've still got a C Match company going, but when you develop something, it costs you a lot of money. And I've just spent a lot of money on these side winders. Which I think, again, surely the most innovative thing in boat fishing has got to be a sidewinder because they've just took over from red gills, they're just marvellous aren't they? And they catch so well, so that's probably, in boat fishing, that's probably the, the best thing that's ever come out. Apart from, which I've already said before, number one has got to be braid. And, and braid for shore fishing enables you, know, you, you to cast further. It's quite strong, it can go right down to ten pound with it, which you wouldn't believe. And the same in the boats when you go out there, you places like Eastbourne here, you haven't got to use half the amount of lead so you've got much more pleasure in your fishing, so it's superb. So I think basically that they're the two main things, I would say braid and then the impact lead, the amnesia which I run through before.
0: It has to be said that most tackle dealers are a source of more than simply what they stock in the shop they also get to hear a lot of stuff from customers which puts them in a position to advise on trends, marks and tactics on a changing basis. A valuable resource which, if people just nip in for a few swivels and a chat, then buy all the major items off the internet, is going to be lost and very sadly missed. How then do you see the threat of internet selling and what can be done to combat it?
1: Well, I think you've got to have good bait. The only thing saving the tax shops is bait. You want good service and plenty of knowledge. And I think if you've got plenty of knowledge and you're fishing and active, people will come to you. And at least if you can uh, match the price, or I had a guy the other day, and I said, "Look, I can't be doing that, but I'll, I can do it for 10 quid more. And he looked at me and he said, that's a deal. Fair enough, you and me. And some people will come to you. People are Mercery, they look for the cheapest. We all do it. But like a guy, the other week I sold him a 590 pound pole, roach pole from Preston Innovations. And he's coming in and I don't think I've sold a roach pole in here for about eight years. But he said to me, Tony, I don't do match fishing really. You know, I want this pole. And I said, look, I won't be able to match their silly prices. He said, yeah, but Tony, I want to buy it off you. And because he knows me and I'll put him right on some other stuff. I said, right. I said, well, I can do 570. He said, I can get it 530 on the net. Right, And I said, well, I can't do it, Mark. 5.70 is it. And uh, he turned around, he said, right, just order it. it. Is the money. We got it next day, he's a happy customer. And he's got backup. You know, if something goes wrong, he can walk in here and we're sorted out. I know you've got backup on the net, don't get me wrong, but he's got full backup. And he comes to me, shops all the time. And I said to him today, he wants another rod now. And I said, look, I, I couldn't help you on the pole. I'll help you a little bit on the next rod. And if everyone was like him, I'd be millionaire but you know unfortunately we all do it we look for the cheapest don't we and I'm afraid the internet has just killed lots of mail order businesses I think basically I think the good shops will survive and the bad shops will go it's sad really though because I say the good shops the more you put into it the more you get out of it but it's really getting tough you know I mean if it weren't for the bait side I think a lot of shops would be gone you know but it, it's really working out that you've got top angling shops and they're trying hard to make it work but it's all a struggle, you know the internet, as you know, is the way to go but I think the ones that are really and I think you've got to find your own niche, you know you've got to find, um, find sort of things like I, I don't know, like I've found these Colmic Rods I've got them it's a niche, you're not going to get Sports Direct or someone like that selling Colmic Rods You know, and all these big dealers that buy all this gear in, it's a a specialist market. I think you've got to find the specialist market and try and aim at that, because if you find the specialist market, no one else can get it. So if you get into the thing where, I don't know, let's just say everybody's got a cheap packet of sidewinders, and there's millions of them, you can buy them on the net. Whereas if you sort of specialise in the best ones, you might get a better chance.
0: Though you're not active these days in angling journalism, let me take that last question one step further. How do you see the future delivery of angling information going? Will magazines eventually stop publishing and carrying large-scale ads like yours on the printed paper?
1: They're just about surviving, but only by the skin of their teeth. I don't know, it's going to be... I suppose time will tell, won't it? I mean, we have come through the recession, haven't we? At least we've got through that. I don't know about the big shops, and also like you're saying about the magazines, they're fighting each other now. Somebody's got to give, in
0: it? Well, this next question might help shed a little bit more light here. Based purely on tackle sales now, how do you see the future of sea angling from both the boat and the shore going? Because for my money, there simply aren't enough new recruits coming along to keep both the magazine as well as the tackle industry healthy.
1: We're trying things, we got things like, um, we did fish for kids, try to get the kids involved and that was backed by pure fishing pretty well, you know, give rods out and everything and we got all these kids fishing which was marvellous and that was a good thing. We did um, a casting tuition day which was marvellous and uh, Julian Shamrock came down, he was casting and showing everyone what to do, brought all these rods down, Uh, we displayed them all and we sold some, you know, on the day, we took some orders I think you've just got to keep trying to push it. I think what they've done is kids are just on computers all day long. One of the things I'm very anti, and I could get in a bit of trouble for this, but this is me. It's gone quiet at the moment, they're talking about a fishing licence for sea fishing. Now, that's all very well, and I know Alan Yates is behind it and certain people. Now I'm a great believer in putting stuff in. Now if there was a licence and they make mini reefs and they do this and they do that, that's all good. But as you know, Phil, that won't happen, okay? If they ever did have a sea fishing licence, I think I'd close this store as quick as I could. Because I think the only thing you've got left is mackerel on the beach and kids. And when the mackerel come in, Dad takes his boy down there. And then his boy buys a rod, then his boy buys a reel. Then Dad gets keen and he buys a rod. And it all starts from mackerel fishing round about this time, July, August. And that gets them down there and it gets them out off the bloody streets, you and me. Now they start putting a licence out there, now they will not go and pay 10 or 12 quid for a licence to go down the beach. It will never happen. So I think the whole thing will get killed if that happens. So i on one side in the way of conservation, if they're going to do anything, but the other side, and I feel really strongly about this because they were talking about it a couple of years ago, you know, I actually got onto a Southern News. I was fuming, you know, I wanted to. Same old point because we're struggling as it is and I'll tell you what if there's no children going fishing you've had it and it's bad enough now because they've got these big factory ships now that they've bought up in Scotland and everywhere and they've absolutely hoovered these mackerel up and I don't know if it's like down your way but it's a real struggle getting mackerel down here at the moment and that's because they're getting so many well at the end of the day that is reflecting you know I mean, I normally sell, this time of year, thousands and thousands of feathers. We've had some mackerel and but very few this year. We've even been scarce in the boats. And alright, there's two sides of the coin. Maybe they could say, oh, if we put this money into a license, we could stop it. It won't stop, will it? You know that. So basically, the only bit of life you've got left is a bit of this kind of fishing for kids. And even if Dad takes his son in the summer and he takes him down there fishing, he won't go and pay a license to do it, I tell you. It won't happen because, you know, it's all money again, isn't it? It's almost like another tax, you know, and I think it's really bad. And I'm, it's the only thing I really feel strong about, that they shouldn't do it. And fortunately, maybe I shouldn't mention it, because it's gone very quiet now for a couple of years. But they have mentioned it a few times, and you just go into a black hole, then it's disappeared. And, you know, my main gripe is all these, the foreign trawlers coming over here. They've cleaned out where they live, because I've been over there, and they, Every little fish on them slabs in France and all over abroad, they're mini fish, aren't they? They've got soles there about six inches long and everything, even smaller. Well, we've got a nice bit of fish left here, and they're just going to destroy it if they keep letting them in. And I, I heard the other week, down I did a, this smooth-hound thing, and they're a bit scarce this year, these smooth-hounds at Celsie. And then a week before I went, I heard that there was a thousand washed up on the Isle of Wight, and they reckon a big trawler from abroad got them and skinned them all and they're selling them as robbing us. You know, whereas we put them all back and then someone comes in and takes thousands of them because they all show up. There's millions of them when they're about. And so that's depleted their stocks, you know, it's pretty sad. But I think Sea Angra will survive. They seem to survive forever. But the thing is, companies like that though, if it's not doing very well, they'll pull the plug on it. You know that, don't you? So you can say it'll survive, but if Bauer decide this one isn't working, they'll pull, they won't care whether it's
0: a sea hangar magazine, they will just pull the plug on it, wouldn't they? No-one's safe nowadays, are they? <laughs> For many years now, Tony's tackle has been seen as a big player on the saltwater scene. What a lot of people fail to realise is that not only do you sell carp tackle, but they have also played a big role in certain aspects of freshwater fishing, more of which as we go along so let me re-ask one of my earlier questions now with regard to the freshwater scene what if any patterns have you picked up on there?
1: I gave up sea fishing for about 10 years and I went carp fishing and a mate of mine Mick Hinson, he's really good and we paired up, we'd done the British Championships a few times, got in the final and everything and then uh, we went to the World Carp Championship, 2004 it was and uh, there was over 300 people there Um, We won it. (laughs) We we won 10 grand. uh, We went to France first time. And what we won it with really was sheer distance. We caught 11 carp. And everyone else on the lake, you had Frank Warwick there, all the top anglers, you know what I mean? Tim Paisley, they're all there, you know, everyone who's anyone named was there. And we we managed to cast out a long way and spot out a long, spot out distance with bait to an exact little spot. And my mate is good at it, you know, really good. And we put that bait on there, was there a week? And we, we not just won it, I mean, to be honest, we didn't have the best peg on the lake. The lake's fast, we caught them at range, we had 11, I think the next as a Welsh pair had two carp, and then a, a couple of other people had one fish, and that was how tough it was. We actually annihilated one, it was all distance. It's not casting distance, it's feeding at distance. You know, when they go on these lakes and they spot, I've watched them, and they put this spod out which puts the bait out and these spawn things which are the latest thing in carp fishing which is one of the best things ever I'll come back to that in a minute and they put it all over the place you and me whereas Mick he'll put it out and if that's where it's going to land you know it's going to land there every time he'll clip it he'll make sure it's perfect and one of the biggest things I've seen that come out in carp fishing is this thing called a spawn. now I don't know if you've seen the Calder videos but they have a spod where they fill it up full of sweet corn and hemp and uh, pellets and you fire it out but what happens with a spod is half it falls out going halfway out. This spom is like a little bait capsule you put all your bait in it and it doesn't open, it's very much like an impact lid it doesn't open until it hits the water so everything comes out as as it hits the water so you're putting it all in one area which is big. They do spray about baits, I notice that some people do fish in an area and our splay bait about to keep the carp in the area but in general I found with Mick and that and we won this 10 grand this 2004 World Carp Championships and basically we, we won it through being precise and then we both went on to fish for England carp fishing and when we'd done that we both caught a fish on the lake and no one, there was, there was nobody else caught on the whole lake, there was one more fish and they had a second part of it was down the river in France, it's England against France we won. The second part was down the river, and we were the only ones who caught out of everyone on the lake. And uh, we both had a fish each. And it was all precise stuff, you know. We was actually, it was actually fishing exactly the same spot. We'd marked it all out. We went out in a boat, and this isn't a, a boat where you take it out remote control. We went out properly in a boat and sounded it all up where we were going to fish and everything. You with me? And it was all precise stuff, getting that that lead in the right place. And me and him caught, we were heroes, you know. And uh I remember we got drunk, we won a load of stuff and we left it in the corner for the kids, which was quite nice. That's another thing that people should do. I mean we won a couple of brollies and a bivy and a something else and it was England thing, we didn't want it we couldn't even be bothered to pick it up. And we said, just leave. it was it was with uh, Chilcott, I think, he's a top name, you know, and I said, Just leave it there for the kids. And that was quite nice really, you know. But it's uh it's putting a bit back into it, isn't it? But that Spom is the biggest thing in carp fishing and I suppose, it's old out now I know, but the hair rig. Years ago no one ever dreamed of a hair rig. I, I was trying to look up today to see who it was and I, he was a friend of Kevin Maddox and I cannot remember, if you look on the internet you'll get his name and the guy who invented that hair rig was a legend because everyone now who fishes for carp, he fish with a hair rig and that's it and it's marvellous really I mean, because they realise that the carp suck it in and then blow it out and of course with a hair rig they don't feel the line, they don't feel anything so that's one of the big innovations and then now they do all these chod rigs which just sit up off the bottom and they reckon the carp sucks it in and they can't get it out it's, <laughs> they shake it and it can't get it out of their mouth so it hooks them immediately but uh, I'm a bit behind now because after we won the world championship we went a fish for England in France and then I think it's about 2006. I went back into sea fishing, and I got out of it completely. So I basically sort of went back to sea fishing what I know, and I've been doing well. Won quite a lot. I won quite a lot of things since I come back. Won a lot of things, but I did it before, you know. So it's quite nice, you know. But uh, definitely in the carping, you know, I'd think that. And the other thing you've got is a marker float. Now the first thing you do when you get to a lake, get the marker float out. Once again, back comes the old braid. Goes back to braid on the reel, and you can feel the bottom, and you just chuck it out and keep chucking it out, and see if you can find some feature, you know, like a little bit of gravel, something like that, and they'll feed off the hard ground, and that's the first thing you want to do when you get to any lake. And just get the marker out first, don't bother about anything else, and just have a good old mark round, see if you can find a bit of good ground or something like that, and that'll reap your rewards because once you start feeding on the right place, you're going to get fish. The watercraft is the most important thing I've noticed because people tend to just crash in and think, this is it, I'll chuck this out, I'll put a big load of bay out there. My mate Mick, we used to sit there when we got there, he used to sit there sometimes for 20 minutes just looking at the water, just getting an idea of what you're going to do before you do it. And we spend a lot of time doing that, and I've found that reaps
0: big rewards. In purely business terms, would it be fair to say that these days, cart fishing is the glue that holds most of course fishing together?
1: i think so but then that's because i don't do a lot of match fishing tackle so i find that you know i've got a good carp fraternity now i've I've built up all my carp side and i'm starting to get people in and it's very trendy it's lovely to go carp fish i just come back from france last week you know you stick your rods in you can have a chat you can have a couple of beers or whatever talk to your mate it's really sociable i've found it's brilliant some people say oh what do you want to sit there and wait for a fish for but in some ways it's better because you kind of get the other situation where I okay, go match fishing, I'm like a nutter, you know, I'm running around and doing this and doing that and doing this whereas you still got to do your feeding for carp, but after you've got everything out there and you have got it right, then you just keep putting it in the same spot and keep it's all about little and often. Keep that feed going in slowly and it'll reap rewards, you know. And uh, I've sort of seem to do fairly well. I go and you learn a lot. I mean I learned a lot off my mate McKinson who in that carp thing, he's brilliant and me and him just worked together well because he caught more fish than me but he'd always take the hot spot but I didn't mind we fished together as a pair you see and he'd take the where the fish were but I didn't mind that because I was quite happy to scratch about, and that's the way we worked it together I mean on, on the British Championship thing I, he caught 10 fish I only caught one about 25-28 pound carp but I see this carp come up out of the water and you throw at him. I don't know if you know this, but I see it, and it put its head up, and I threw straight at it. And that was the only carp in my swim all weekend. So that's the kind of thing you look for in a lake. You see these fish, So if they jump out, they take no notice. But when they lop their heads over, they're feeding. And if you see a carp on a lake, it lops his head over, and he just comes out of the water and just glides over. He's cleaning out his gills. So he's feeding down there, you and me. He might be just scuffing up all the bottom, but he's in there looking for food. So if you can get somewhere near it, and I've done that quite a few times, I've chucked at fish and caught them. And within about twenty minutes, you catch it because they're feeding there, you know. And a lot of people don't realise that. It's quite incredible, really. Just while we we're on the thing, I'll try and finish this off here. But when I won the World Championship 2004, I got on a plane about three weeks later with Alan Yates and went to Gambia. I fished Gambia on the beach, and I got on a plane, and I was just like, "Well, World Championship! You can't believe it!" And you know, I, was, I was over the moon. Anyway. We got on the plane and me and Alan started having a laugh and that, and he it, it kept saying to everyone, Oh dear. And I, I said, What's. I didn't know. And he's going to them, Oh dear, this is dangerous. And I said, What? You know, he said, I didn't say what. People were saying. My missus said to him, what, what do you mean? Oh Christ, you won't beat him. And she, he started saying this to uh, my wife and that, and I didn't know, and I was just on such a high. Anyway, I went out there the week after and I won the Gambia. I won seven grand in the Gambia. And I just was on such a high that. You get on a thing where I can't be beaten and he knew as an angler he knew it's hard to explain if you're not but he knew I was going to do the business in Gambia and I had on the last day I had Alan Yates and Richard each side of me and I'll tell you what 9 times out of 10 they beat me because they are professional they're really good and I just blew them away because it was my time you and me and I think confidence is a great thing in match angling if you ever go match angling if you've got the confidence to do it and think you're going to win you tend to Somehow I do a lot better, and confidence is a big thing in fishing, isn't it? And a lot of people, they rule it out. They don't understand it. They
0: think, "What are you talking about?" So you fish for England on the carp scene, but did you ever get to represent us on the sea angling scene as well? Yeah, I fished for
1: England with Alan Yates. Uh, 19, I think it's 1981. Uh, I was 24 anyway. I'm 60 now. I think it's around about 81 and I went to South Africa with Alan Yates and there was just five of us, we got picked for England and uh, we went out there and I caught sharks and everything and it was brilliant but I kind of done okay but I wasn't experienced enough and I got drunk, I was young, I used to go out, get drunk, have a few beers and I wasn't at it properly, you and me. I tried my hardest but it was really tough. He was getting up at five in the morning i was going out with the lads at night having a nice time and i was young you know and i was out there on my own and i could have done a bit better i think but i went back five years later and i had done it again i fished again and i think i won the individual come second and the second time and our b team beat the a team and we had a marvelous time the second time but i'd learned see once again i'd learned a bit about it you need to learn the first time i went i went in blind second time i knew what i was doing I knew what I was gonna do, you know, and I was a bit older then. But I fished on them two occasions, and uh, I was quite proud to be honest with you. But uh, that was enough for me. I I don't wanna get too personal, but my wife died about 20 years ago now, and uh, she died very suddenly, she had a brain hemorrhage, and uh, I gave up fishing completely for 11 years. And then that's when I just played. I went to the Gambia, I went there 10 times, and I got lots of results and won a lot of money out there. But I didn't go match fishing here. I didn't really do anything and then I started with Mick about 2003 carping and then after that I finished the carp bit I got back to my roots and now I love it again I'm back into the swing of the match fishing I love it I'm president of the local club here and the nomads and I sort of helped run it and everything and it's really nice to be back you know but it was just devastating for about five years I went mad (laughs) because I was left with the kids 11 and 12 on my own and I basically lost my way a bit. And then uh, I got myself sorted out and am married again now and everything's good. But, uh, you know, it's one of the times in my life where it's pretty sad, but still eh?
0: <laughs> Final question. Based on the various trends of the past, how do you see fishing, tackle development and the tackle trade evolving in the future?
1: I think it will always get better. I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> but it's like everything, innit? <laughs> You watch it and they bring out a bed chair for carp fishing. And now they bring out a bed chair that's made of air light material and it's twice as light as anything else. Digital scales. No one really noticed they creeped in, didn't they? All the scales were always normal. They went digital, now there's loads of digital scales and it's just taken for granted, isn't it? So I think things will always improve. Tackle just gets better and better. And I, One thing I do think will happen, and look, a lot of people have missed out on this, When I first started developing stuff in Japan, it was very cheap and it was made in Hong Kong and it was cheap and it was this and that and there was stuff from Hong Kong that was cheap, there was stuff here that's cheap and everything and then Japan was fairly cheap and then all of a sudden it changed and then it became the best and Japanese is probably the best tackle in the world. Mega expensive. Well I can see this, I can see it already Phil you buy something, uh, I'll give you an idea carp set of alarms, right, and I bought them four years ago off this guy and every other week a bloke comes in, and you duck your head and he's bought a set in and there's one not working, yeah, you know, got a receiver system, and they only cost him 70 quid, but they're not working, you know, so no problem the guy who supplied them to me, fantastic now, there's another set two months later oh mate, this had gone wrong again, alright, okay anyway, cut a long story short what I'm trying to get to here is that. Uh, Two years later, now I'll sell a set of these alarms and you just never see them again. I think I sold 50 sets at the big one at uh, Farnborough, never had a phone call. <laughs> the year before, I had five, six phone calls. Oh, my receiver's not picking up, this isn't working, this hasn't worked. Replace them all, but what a lot of people don't realise is these child, they don't want that back. So they go, right, what's happening here? It's the blue light, the bulb keeps going on it right, so we've got to sort that so the next lot in, the blue light sorted or whatever it be it might be a reel where the back wine goes or something, but they're not, they don't want it back to China so what they do is they improve, so I think you're going to find that China's going to become um, uh, though people say, oh it's old Chinese it's the business now it already is already the reels that are made in China now are top notch you me. and it, already now it's showing and uh, I think it will show through even more as time goes on First of all, it was all rubbish, got to buy British and all that, but we haven't got the amount of, we've got the ability, you've got your Ziplex which is number one, you know, you've still got your your good companies that do things, but in general, if these Chinese get hold of something, they copy it, it might be rubbish the first time, but the second lot in a good, and you can't fool it, and I think that's the way it's going to go. In the way of... Um, developments I don't know, they might develop these boats a bit more, I mean they use all these boats for carp, I'll mante these a little bit because they're marvellous things but that's taking all the skill out of the fishing isn't it, bait boats. <laughs> all your skills gone, I pick a bush and try and get it underneath it and then I'll perhaps clip it to it so I'll get it there again on the, on the reel and all that, that's all gone, you've got a bait boat, put your bait under there, it's all done. So it's really killed it a bit, although they're, they're marvellous things and course maybe I shouldn't knock it because I'll sell them in the shop. I don't really know, I can't see anything spectacular coming along other than the most spectacular thing I've seen is these Colmick beach rods and some of the other Italian ones, they're just out of this world. You say what's going to come along you don't know but that's the biggest revelation that started about a year and a half ago that I've seen sitting in 40 years because it's almost like a carp rod. It's thinner than a carp rod, it's like a match rod, you know a freshwater match rod. It's almost like that, and if you see one, you just you just won't believe it. And most people, I've had people come in here, and they pick them up, and they go, oh, you can't afford that, it's 450 quid, not nastily. And within about four days, they've come in here and gone, I want it. And it's the kind of thing you get in your hand, and you think, I want one of these, you want me? It's, uh, it's that kind of thing, so.
0: I think we've pretty much done the tackle trade side of things full justice now. In part two... I'd like to look in a little more detail at the practical side of your carp and saltwater fishing but for now it's a very big thank you to Tony Kerridge with the promise that we will be back